So I want to respect everybody's time. And uh, first of all, say hello to everybody. For those of you who I have not met, uh, I am Darren Katz, the very proud and excited incoming head of school. And I, if, if I haven't met you, I certainly look forward to doing so in person this summer or certainly in the fall. Um, on behalf of the administrators who are on the Zoom, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us today. As you hopefully read in my email update last week, our campus will reopen for in-person learning unless government regulations prevent us from doing so. And at this time, our campus reopening task force, which is chaired by John Pitcher, Hillel's chief op operating officer, in consultation with our medical advisor and our academic leaders, we believe that all students will be able to return to our beautiful facility on a daily basis in the fall, albeit with physical distancing guidelines in effect. So we're blessed with a spacious campus, flexible classrooms, and extensive indoor and outdoor spaces. And in addition, as you know, our low student teacher ratio, which I understand is among the lowest of any school in the area, provides us with the ability to implement all necessary safety and hygiene protocols while still emphasizing key skills that are at the core of what we do at Hillel. Creativity, critical thinking, communication, collaboration, community, and of course, our core Jewish values. Now we are planning for modifications to some of our normal school routines, and we can get into those in more detail later. For example, our lunch program and physical education. But I wanna emphasize on behalf of our team that we are committed to providing a complete range of academic and co-curricular programs, including all specialties with physical distancing protocols. It is important to note that in every conversation that we have about next year, we discuss the paramount importance of the social emotional health of your children. We don't want them to fear coming to school. So while we must abide by regulations provided by the CDC and the state of Michigan, we will design a program so that your children can just be children and come to school without fear. And I see my dear colleague, Kim Love, shaking her head because that is important for all of us. All models of asynchronous and synchronous online instruction are being evaluated in order to best meet the needs of our students and ensure that they continue to learn, remain engaged, strengthen relationships, always being mindful of the amount of screen time that is healthy for students. So there's a one-to-one -one program already in place for fifth to eighth graders, and of course, that will continue next year. And lastly, we recognize that there may be students, families, and staff who may have a heightened health risk and or they're just not ready to return to our facility. So in the flexible model, our on-campus learning with physical distancing will happen concurrently with a remote learning option for these constituents. In all honesty, this is the model that requires the most careful planning and we are working diligently on this. So our focus group today will give you an opportunity to ask questions, voice concerns, give us your thoughts. This will be an open dialogue. So I wanna thank those parents who submitted questions ahead of time because they were able to give us a sense of the pulse of the community. 
And those questions fell into the following buckets. So physical distancing procedures, how lunch and recess will work, what will the remote schedule look like, what are the health and safety protocols, and then questions about tuition. Please understand that there may be answers we do not yet have because we do not have the guidelines from Governor Whitmer's educational task force. And of course, we need to see the course of the virus over the summer. As always, we will be honest about what we know, what we do not yet know, and when we hope to have answers, hope being the key word in that sentence. So I do wanna let everyone know that this focus group is being recorded so that we can refer back to it if necessary. I now wanna open up the floor per se to start the dialogue. Please ask your questions and I will direct them to the appropriate staff member or that staff member will just jump right in. Okay, so there was a question that came in, which I think is uh, an important question about um, face masks and what is our policy going to be about fa uh, face masks. So um, I wanna start, I'll answer that question and then John, I want you to chime in if, there, if, I, if I forget anything. Um, so we will be, as part of the two questions that are in the survey that you will get tomorrow, we'll ask about your personal preference as a parent. And I wanna stress the word preference or concerns about your child wearing a face mask at various points throughout the day. Um, we ultimately will make the decision on masks based on data, based on information that we get from our medical advisor and what the state's recommendations are. I will tell you that every few days there is new information that comes our way. Today we received a pretty extensive packet that is being dis, um, distributed to Canadian schools, so not that far from Detroit, and I actually skimmed through it pretty carefully, and that particular document is not suggesting that students wear masks throughout the day. I'm not saying that's the way we're going to go. I'm just acknowledging that this is a very complicated situation. The school will ultimately making, be making the decision. We haven't made that yet, but we'll be making it very carefully using those criteria and those advisory um, bodies that I spoke about. John, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add or if that kind of covers it. No, well said, Darren. Nothing okay. to add. Um, Lisa in the chat, if we can be flexible, read the virus, can't we be flexible at having online learning on very cold snow days instead of just canceling class? Somebody want to take that? I think, I think it depends, you know, our goal for the transition, hi again, our goal for the transitional model, meaning that if we found out we had a positive case in the school or the government shut down our school, we need to think really strategically and intentionally about that now. We wanna have a smooth transition for families and students. Um, to say that we will for sure go into remote learning um, process if there's a snow day, um, we can't make promises because if that's sudden and kids don't have um, the necessary materials or their iPads or Chromebooks or whatever and it's left at school, we can't guarantee that everybody has the quality of the education that day. 
Um, it's definitely something of discussion because it, I think kids are even talking about it. Like, oh man, are we never going to have snow days again? Um, so it's not something we're totally dismissing, but um, we, we can't say that, yes, absolutely, it's a no-brainer. We would just go into remote learning because we don't know what kind of materials they would have for the day. You know, an extensive, there's sometimes where there's, like, for some reason, there's an extended thing other than COVID, something to discuss. Okay. Thank you, Melissa. Um, Deborah, you actually asked a good question. Um, it was in the chat. Would you mind saying it out loud? Sure. Uh, I just wondered, um, like, what you've thought about if there was a positive case in a specific community, the one, two community, the five, six community, would you just shut down that community? Would you shut down that wing of the school with the whole? I, and I, believe me, I know that you guys don't know what's going to happen in 20 minutes from now. So I'm just wondering what you're thinking today as of seven, whatever it is. <laughs> hey, Deborah, we, we've thought about that. And ideally, we would only like to shut down the part of the school that's affected. I think it would just depend on the circumstances. It, trying to keep kids in the bubbles or whatever the Hebrew word is for bubble, Darren, that you taught us this morning. Buah. Keeping them in that would, would better allow us to possibly have that. I'm just shutting down one part of the school because an infected student will not have traveled in many other parts. So, um, but we probably have to rely on our medical advisors to see if we could do that or not. And, and we'd have to be concerned about the staff too, um, how far reaching they were in the school that particular day. So that um, actually brings up more questions. I'm glad you said that. So, <laughs> um, so it sounds like part of the plan is keeping kind of communities contained and not moving them through the school, maybe not using the lunchroom. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, absolutely not using the lunchroom. Uh, every, all the guidance out there says we should be uh, keeping, not having big groups of students anywhere. So um, all lunches will be either in their classroom or if weather's permitting, maybe even outside. Um, we're, I'll, I'll make a plug for another app we're looking at, and that's a lunch-related app. Um, students would put money into the lunch app. They would see the menus on their phone or tablets or laptops and choose their child's meals, meals ahead of time. The meals tickets will be printed out, and, and your child's name would be on a sticker on the meal that's delivered to their classroom. Um, we would also have a list of all the meals going to that classroom. We'd be using staff or possibly volunteers. We're not sure if we'll have volunteers in the building, but making sure the staff can get all the meals to the children on a daily basis. I can add on to what John's saying also for um, just what the day might look like. So um, our goal is to have students move as little as possible that gets a little bit more complicated in fifth through eighth grade because there are classes that are leveled um, based on what we know is best academically. So they will be in the, I don't know how to say it, buyot, bubbles. Uh, Someone will, some, um, what is it, Amira? Buot. Um, as much as possible so that we are keeping those sort of pods together. But in fifth through eighth grade, we're also going to balance the academic and developmental needs of the kids and, and see the best way that we can do that for classes like Hebrew and then as they get older in math. So, you know, 
no matter what the recommendations are, we know that they should not be traveling through the whole school. So they will be within a certain area of the school, you know, in their community. And then within that community, even travel as little as possible throughout the day. Again, not only do we want to balance their academic needs, but their social emotional needs. Middle schoolers can't see the same 16 people for an entire year. Um, that's just not how they function. And, and we know that that's not good for them. So we're also thinking of ways that they will be able to, to see, you know, people outside of whichever classes they're in. And I, I'm hoping that kids will have much um, fewer issues going outside for recess now that that will be a key component of being able to play and see whoever they want. So we're also going to, you know, maximize their time to spend outdoors, which is much less of a concern than being indoors. For sure. <clears throat> Okay, thank you. Uh, Shauna asks a really good question that was in the chat. And I think Melissa and Amira and David and Barbara um, can really speak to the experience of what we learned from remote learning, what worked and what didn't. I'll start and then everybody can, can chime in. Um, we learned, one, we learned that we can do things um, really quickly and um, and effectively when needed. Although at the beginning may have not been perfect, um, it, it was really, really impressive what our staff could do. We also learned that learning comes in so many facets and that although our students were um, isolated at home, hopefully they gained some other skills other than you know mathematics and Hebrew. Uh, we also learned that the remote learning for some families was spot on, for other families was too much, and for some families were too little. So those were kind of overarching things. But theme-wise, what we learned was the more synchronous or one-on-one -on -one with children to teacher, the more successful or the more connected our students felt socially, emotionally, and academically. So small class sizes. So at one point, our fifth through eighth, there were a couple classes that, that were really large, and that wasn't working well for um, a number of reasons. So the smaller the class, um, the better the connection. The one-on-one the -on -one with teacher to student, awesome. The student support from our social workers, from our learning specialists, really, really worked. From when kids were having issues to email, text, FaceTime with, with teachers, um, really great. And then those teachers who really held students accountable and um, had high expectations for their Google Classroom or, uh, or Google Meets or Zoom. So cameras on, taught them about mute, unmute, um, how to have enriching conversations online, how to use a chat feature, which some of our teachers caught on to right away and others need work. And those are things that we are intentionally going to cover come fall if we have to go back into the remote learning um, situation or scenario you know what do what do first graders need in this circumstance what do seventh graders need in this circumstance and to actually teach both our teachers and our students how to use the technology and how to to learn to the best of their ability we also learned and i'll stop and you guys can chime in um you know some people really uh 
cherished and loved that Friday day off. And some people really thought that, why aren't we having, you know, formal school that day? And those are things that we are all tweaking and working out. So those are the, those are the things that stick out for me. Hi, everyone. Um, great to see you guys. I'm going to echo a little bit uh, of what Melissa said and then kind of add as well. For me, the greatest lesson, and I think for many of us, was the strength of the Hillel community um, and just how much that community means um, in a time like what we experienced in the last few months. Um, in terms of the classroom, what I discovered through my own eighth grade class and with my colleagues um, and speaking with one, some of the teachers is that I think skill-based learning works really well remotely, particularly when it's um, matched with a complementary um, uh, second platform that you can use in addition to whatever Google Meet or Zoom. So for example, in my classroom, I use Nearpod in conjunction with Zoom or Google Meet, and it worked really beautifully. Um, and conferring a number of teachers shared that conferring one-on-one -on -one with students, actually, they were able to give more particular feedback um, for students who were engaged fully in the process and attending class. Um, there was a meeting that Melissa led with the curriculum coordinators, and it was fascinating to hear that across the board and across the grade levels, the greatest challenge was facilitating discussions, um, and this is an area of growth you know, whether it's called a turn and talk or it's called chavruta, um, it, it's like this, this essential need of the human element of learning and, and thinking together and collaborating. And I think that one of the challenges over the summer is partnering with Marnie and continuing to grow our bank of resources to make sure that, that we can help students not only have the interaction online with their teachers, um, but also have academic, meaningful conversations with their peers. Can I just add, Shana, that connected to your, I know you put in the chat earlier about the Jewish life and tefillah. We had some, some things we learned there tweaking connected to what Melissa and Amira said a little bit about size and the way we bring that over, those opportunities for students. Really, we jumped into it with just how can we get something out there that kids have an option to. And we learned that if we can really focus it to ways that are smaller groups that are on a regular basis that are student-led, um, those really increase the meaning and also the the student engagement in philo and also in some of the Jewish life experiences. So we're looking at ways to really bring those to to smaller groups um, and ways that students can take leadership opportunities in those on a regular basis. I think will really enhance those activities both in Jewish life and in prayer spaces. I want to jump in for one second with the tech piece. We learned that all of the technology tools we use were adapting on the fly just as much as we were. Um, and earlier this week, Google Meet rolled out a whole slew of tools that are going to do a fantastic job um, enhancing remote should we need to go there. We also ran into things like YouTube links. Some worked, some didn't. So we have platforms that we're putting in place to ensure a smoother transition to those kinds of things. And the teachers did a fabulous job of adapting and learning. They're also, and Melissa and Darren can speak to this, part of the teacher summer learning is to learn more about how to effectively use the tools that we know we're gonna need at some point next year. Everyone pretty much covered it, clearly. Um, but the last thing I'll say is, is just um, tagging onto something Melissa said is that 
the structure was really important and we will um, make sure that there there are structures that kids do in school that I don't think they continue to do when we were remote and we will make sure especially for fifth and sixth graders next year um, because there a lot of them are just learning how to fill out their planner and use it as a checklist for their homework and things like that so making sure that continues if we need to transition to remote learning will be especially important um, for the middle schoolers, uh, as well as knowing the structure, like having that specific schedule for them, I think worked really, really well. And so having them understand their structure and know it and be able to use it will be something that we'll continue and also build on. Okay, great, thank you all. Um, Next question came from Renee. If a child stays home with a fever, is there any point the school would require a COVID test to return to school? Uh, so John, do you want to take that or I can? Sure. I'll, I'll try. Um, I'm obviously not, not a medical expert. First of all, I'm not sure we would know a child is home with a fever unless we sent them home with a fever. So that would be the first step to, to make sure the parents and we'd have to trust that the parents are trying to do their best to determine that it's not uh, COVID. Um, I certainly think we'll be encouraging parents to, to think hard about the condition they send their kids into school, and hopefully they'll understand the effect they'll have on everyone else, or possibly even a shutdown of the school if they send in a sick child. Um, but on the other hand, we're not going to freak out every time a kid gets sick at school. I mean, it's flu season, it's cold season, Kids get runny noses, kids get stomach aches. We're not gonna assume that every time that happens that it's um, COVID uh, and get ready to shut down the school, but we're gonna, we're gonna have to rely on our medical advisor for some of these policies. Um, I hate to keep falling back on that, but it's just the truth. We need experts to tell us what to do. Okay, thank you, John. Um, Alyssa had a question. Uh, some schools around the country are starting earlier than planned. Is this being discussed? Um, so I'll start and then Melissa, I'd like you to uh, chime in from an earlier focus group. I thought you had a wonderful uh, add on to what, what I said. Um, so I, I will, without making any promises, what I will say is that nothing is being ruled out. Um, again, I've been on more webinars and reading more um, articles than I ever would have anticipated. And the trend and the advice or the, that I'm seeing now is that schools are not opening up earlier because they are giving that much more time for the virus to reach its lowest uh, level possible. So um, again, nothing's being ruled out, but at this time, we do not have plans to open up school early. Thanks, Darren. Before I answer the question, I, I just want everybody to know that th the questions being presented tonight or things that are on your mind, it's, a, it's an overall theme. So it, it's comforting to know that all these things are on everybody's mind. Um, so just to add on to, to Darren and what's being recommended, we also feel strongly that because there's so much change happening and, you know, that the ed task force that I'm leading that will, will determine, you know, what kind of training and professional development our teachers need, we really need that time in August 
to make sure that our teachers are prepared to provide uh, the best learning environment and understand how to use the space and understand how to do the transitional model and understand how to do the flexible model. So it, it's critical that we have that time for them. Okay. Thank you, Melissa. Um, Lisa, any thoughts about the sixth grade Shabbaton, seventh grade DC trip? Are we going to try to get those in before Thanksgiving or hope for the spring? Well, the, the DC trip for this year's seventh graders obviously didn't happen this spring as it was scheduled. Uh, we have rescheduled it to the fall. Um, it's still up in the air if that will happen in the fall or not. Um, it's going to depend what happens with the virus between now and then. Um, we do have dates for it, um, but I, I can't guarantee that it will happen. Um, just like the, the eighth grade Israel trip, unfortunately, was canceled. Um, Shabbaton, I'm not really an expert at that. Um, I, I don't know that we'll be able to go away. David, sounds like you, looks like you might have something. I, I probably agree with what you're going to say, John, which is at this point, we don't, we don't know really enough to, other than being optimistic and that there's a lot of time outdoors, but going away overnight, you know, may be challenging. Lisa, it's the same for, um, like next year's seventh grader. So like Evan's DC trip, our hope is that we'll go because we're still planning to go in the fall with this year's, you know, kids who were supposed to go. So the plan and the hope is to go and just like 75% of the questions, we just don't know yet. But it's our, our, you know, our goal is to make everything and anything that can happen, happen safely, obviously. And, and just so you know, total transparency that we're going to have to make a decision um, by the end of July on this fall's trip for the this year's seventh graders going into eighth grade, the rescheduled trip, we're going to have to decide by the end of July. So you'll know something by then. Just also want to jump in that for this year's sixth grade and seventh grade would be in the spring. I think. Correct. So, um, that also, you know, we realize that the way the trip has run in the past, you know, it's four kids in a room, two kids sharing a bed that, you know, we've already, I think Nicole's reached out to the hotels, you know, can we do, you know, each kid having their own bed with a cot. So, you know, I don't know what that will do with costs, you know, having three kids in a room instead of four, but, you know, it's up in the air also. If, you, uh, if you've looked at what are considered to be high-risk activities versus not, staying in a hotel is actually considered to be lower risk. It's the number of people in a room. Um, that is the, um, for example, Barrick, the school that I um, am leaving tomorrow, <laughs> um, we canceled our Israel trip in the fall, a three-month study abroad program, not because of the flight, not because of the tours, not because of the trips, it's because of the dorm situation and the number of kids who would be living with each other in a dorm. So if we can work with the hotel to limit the number of students in a hotel room, um, we, I, I think that would move this in a positive direction. So I do want to echo what Mo Melissa said. These have been, these focus groups have been so helpful for us because we see recurrent themes and recurrent questions and we know 
that's on the minds of all Hillel parents. And it's on our minds as well. Um, and it's, it's just, it's, it's, I find very reassuring to know that the, the questions that people have um, are coming from a place of care and concern and a love for the school. And that that is, whether we were talking about ECC and K or we were talking about seventh and eighth grade, um, that really came through in a lot of the comments and questions and concerns that we've heard. So anybody else? I think we've caught up in the chat. Does anybody want to just raise their hand or, or ask anything else? The one topic that didn't come up in this meeting, just to be transparent so you know, um, it was often asked, will students find out their schedule or teachers prior to school? Um, so the, the answer we, we've been giving is for the fifth or eighth graders, typically they get their schedules on the first day of school. Um, knowing we're in an interesting cir circumstance, um, the chances are high that students will find out who their advisor is prior to the beginning of the school year. That doesn't mean August 1st, but you know, sometime in August before school starts. And that the advisor will, depending on if we can bring kids together, you know, organize a, a get together at Hillel where they can sit in a circle and talk or organize a Zoom situation so there can the the student teacher relationship can begin and um, they can answer any questions that the students are, are wondering about okay um, so there is a question that came up in the third fourth grade focus group or was submitted as a question and I know that it was submitted uh, again, just about um, if we do go, if we are remote at some point, what would be the policy on tefillah and behavior in tefillah? So um, David and Amira, is, if, I'm sure you want to chime in about that. Great. So I can start. Um, we... We sent, we, we sent out a tefillah expectation, but I think we now know from the experience that having, ha, having being able to address and talk with kids about tefillah expectations on Zoom um, when we're together in person will definitely help. And so that we can share with students what the expectation is, what it looks like, camera on, camera off, talking, taking leadership roles, um, kind of what I said earlier, engaging students in the leadership of the tefillah and also the smaller groups of the tefillah will definitely um, make a tefillah difference. Also, the tefillah happening on a regular basis. Um, we're not sure exactly how often or length um, should it go back to remote learning, but it will be on a regular kind of schedule with a clear expectation in a smaller group so that students feel more responsibility and engagement um, to the tefillah that's happening. It may sometimes look more like a standard tefillah, and it may sometimes look less like a standard minion tefillah, and I think those options will also give students um, increased um, engagement. Okay. And I can just add in, um, Deborah, to your comment in the chat where you, you mentioned, I'd like to recommend different types of tefillah for kids. I think a variety of options would go a long way. So um, we fully agree and, and there's power to um, different forms, modalities, ways of educating around tefillah. 
it's much easier to do um, in the building when, you know, this year students were learning about Tula in the greenhouse or um, learning about Tula and going into the gym and thinking about, you know, what it's like to have disabilities in your physical body. Um, I don't know that Rabbi and I have totally figured out the precise way at this point in time to offer the same tefillah rotations during remote learning. But that being said, um, there are different skill-based engaging opportunities, you know, um, moments of connection with tefillah. For example, this year we did not, um, except for one or two special occasions, we did not have the opportunity to have Torah reading while remote. That is a high priority, especially knowing that Gesher children are right, you know, right around the corner from their B'nai Mitzvah. So partnering up with different rabbis in the community, prioritizing the days that we have tefillah coincide with Torah reading days, in some ways um, could speak to different types of connections. And echoing what um, Rabbi Fain said, you know, obviously the structure will be um, different, you know, communities will be meeting or smaller groups will be meeting. It won't be sort of how we started this year when we thought remote learning was a two-week shtick um, and we had everyone in one singular space. And separate Zoom rooms is something that we're, um, we're thinking through. There's still some challenges with rotations um, in terms of some of the materials and some of the engagement points. Um, but it's, it's worth thinking through, you know, a number of times this summer, which I'm sure we will continue to do. And Marnie, do you want to comment on the extension that Google Meet released this week that sort of mimics what Zoom can do? <laughs> so the reason that as a school, when we had classes and students were in with just their teachers, we stuck with Google is because of the security. Unless you have a hillelday.org or a hillelstudents.org email account, you cannot penetrate a Google Hangout room. When we did Zoom with kids, it was because we had multiple moderators watching the back end to make sure it was safe. Thankfully, Google has um, upped the ante, so to speak, and has adopted many of the features from Zoom, including breakout rooms, including more moderation ability on the teacher's end. Um, and all of those were announced on Monday or Tuesday this week and will be rolling out by the fall. So we're really excited about those features within the secure environment of our Google Suite. Okay, um, as I'm watching the clock, we're coming up close to uh, eight o'clock and I just wanted to know if anybody else had any additional questions or comments. Okay, so on behalf of our team, I again wanna thank you all for joining us tonight. These focus groups have been um, thought provoking and helpful and uh, just has given us an opportunity to hear what you as parents have as questions and concerns. We appreciate your time. And what we promise you is that we are continuing to work very hard to provide those answers. And we will communicate with you on a regular basis and tell you what we know and what we don't know, recognizing that next year is going to be all about flexibility and assumption of goodwill and a sense of humor, and probably somewhat changing on the fly. But as a community, we've gotten, you, we've gotten through the past three to four months together, and we will continue to do so in excellent fashion going forward.
So thank you all for being here. I'm happy to meet those of you who I've not met yet, and I can't wait to meet your children in the fall. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for Thank being you here. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.